This is Talk for Freedom, a podcast sharing the truths about human trafficking and highlighting those in the fight to end it. With your host, Cesar Lopez, with A21 Freedom Chasers, and Chuck Paul with Chuck Paul LLC. Hey everyone, welcome back to Talk for Freedom. This is Cesar Lopez with A21 Freedom Chasers. We've got Chuck with Chuck Paul LLC. And today we actually have a special guest with us, Cecilia from A21 Freedom Chasers as well. Today's episode is different. Um, What we're going to be talking about is the migrant crisis situation that we are currently experiencing here in the United States. And um, the reason we want to talk about this is it is a humanitarian crisis. Um, Most I have heard it from maybe a political side, but we don't really want to focus on the political side. What we want to do today is talk about why this is a humanitarian crisis. So I want to share some information before we start um, the conversation here. What we've seen is that there was a change um, when the Biden administration came in. So there's some political stuff we'll mention just so that we can get some facts out there. Uh, there was some changes um, to some laws. And so it looks like they allowed unaccompanied children under the age of 18 to enter the U.S. Uh, while their uh, claims have been processed. And so right now what we're seeing is an influx of majority teenage boys. It's children under the age of 18, but the majority of them are teenage boys at what we're seeing. Um, and so there has been a report by the Associated Press that there's about uh, 16,000 unaccompanied children that were in government custody um, in the month of March and about 5,000 in substandard customs and border protection facilities. Here, uh, we're based in San Antonio, Texas, um, all three of us. And what we're seeing here in San Antonio is that the city itself has um, basically stepped up to try to help uh, in this situation um, because of the situation of minors. And um, what we're doing is we're housing about 2,400 unaccompanied migrant children in a couple of facilities here in San Antonio. Um, and so that's why it's close to us and close to our hearts in this uh, subject, because we're seeing it in our own city. Um, and we, we want to talk about that. And so I'll, I'll start it off as a question to both of you, and we can, we can definitely go into it. Um, why is this important to talk about right now? So Cesar, let me, let me throw a little bit more history in yeah, there. Yeah, of um, course. So back in 2019, there was a surge of migrants coming up from mostly South American countries. Um, and, and so a little bit of the history of there. So um, when this pandemic first started and it, it started, we all agree now it started way back in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. So the oil producing companies got together, OPEC primarily, and then, you know, the big oil producing countries like United States and the Soviet Union. And they said uh, that in this meeting, OPEC said, let's start to reduce the amount of oil we produce because we're not, consumption's not going to be that high. And this way here, the price doesn't fluctuate. So Russia tried to uh, undermine that by producing more oil. So then OPEC was like, oh, really want to do that so we can produce more oil. And so they ended up, what happening was, is these oil producing countries in South America, which were primarily fueled, their governments were fueled by minerals such as oil began to have economic problems. And so you saw oil fields in West Texas shut down. You saw oil fields around the country shut down. You saw oil fields across the world shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, because no one can compete with OPEC. They uh, they have the largest oil producing uh, company in the world. It's, it's, it's Saudi Arabia. So what happened was, is this economy start to degrade and you have strongmen come in South America. You have an increase in crime. You have an increase in violence. You have an increase in poverty and you have an increase in desperation. 
So we started to see migrants coming up and they were bringing their children, their families. And I've worked on the border. You know, I got 10 years of federal service before I did 12 years of state service. I was an actual customs agent. I've worked, you know, I've worked situations where I'm going down the road and I stop a group of people and it's all families, people mm-hmm. with their kids. I mean, I've been, you know, and I talk to them and find out that, you know, they think they're miles and miles into the United States. They're only a few feet. And uh, some coyotes taking their money and basically dropped them and literally dropped them in the middle of the desert. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we've had situations where families are desperate and they're asking for help from customs officials and border patrol officials going, listen, I lost my child. We're walking up here. I lost my child or the coyote took my child. So we go looking for that. So there's like the, there's bore cap units that go out looking for kids that are missing in the desert. I've been a part of some of that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a desperate situation. So in 2019, we had this surge. And so the answer at the time was they set up temporary migrant camps across the border. The border patrol agents are not trained childcare providers. So they were completely overwhelmed. And so they got involved with getting organizations like Baptist Children and Families, which is, you know, they have child placement agencies, they have child care providers, they have they have all the resources. Um, they gave them contracts to uh, run facilities. They took some of their existing facilities that already had playgrounds and sports courts and schools and everything else. They converted those. And then they created other facilities because in this process, what happens is, is that, you know, you have an unaccompanied minor, you're not going to send a kid back across the border. You just don't do that. Okay. So you have an unaccompanied minor. They have to try to find their relative. Well, their relative may be living illegally here in the United States. So they're very difficult to find anyways. There's the language barriers. There's all these other barriers to try to find a relative to placement. If not, they have to find a sponsor. So the Office of Refugee Resettlement has to find all of that. So that doesn't take days. That takes months. If you're going to do true, honest-to-goodness casework where you do background checks and make sure you're not giving the child to some criminal, you know, it takes months. I mean, it would be very easy for somebody to pull up and say, yeah, yeah, I'm a cousin to all of these girls. I'm a cousin to 15 kids here and they stuff them in the van and then... Those kids will be sold on the streets that night for sex. Uh, you have to do background checks. This was done. And even in, even though that was done in 2019, mm-hmm. the Office of Refugee was settled, but actually lost track of hundreds of kids because there's like the Child Protective Agency for Migrant Children. So that the federal agency. So what we had to happen now is like you said, change in administration. And what people don't realize is that these kids, most of them were already just across the border in Mexico. They had still been coming up But under the Trump administration, they had a policy of make them wait in Mexico, send them back, make them wait. So we had all these tent sites. And I know this because I still have connections along the border. I still have connections to federal law enforcement. You had all these tent sites just across the border with families and Haitians fleeing the earthquakes and people from uh, African nations that were fleeing poverty and war and and kids on a company minors. And plus you had parents that were desperate now because they sat over there for, you know, maybe a year in a mm-hmm. tent. And so they see this change in administration and they go, you know what, we're going to have Johnny or we're going to have our child walk across the border because we don't be taken care of or they'll try to find relatives. So these kids show up, we're having this flux right now. It's going to continue no matter what happens because you have to not only address the Northern Triangle countries that are having all these issues right now, get them the relief that they need in order to stop the migration, but you also have to address this crisis we've had along the border all this time. So now we have these children, what do you do with them? So common sense would be bring them in, go back to those child agencies that worked with them the last time and have them do what they do. Unfortunately, uh, because of the politics, what happened was is there were these ad hoc 
facilities that were just thrown together uh, with people that were not following. Texas have a, has a family code where it also has licensing code that says, you know, if you have a child that has basic needs, then it has to have eight to one ratio, which means you have to have eight, eight kids to one adult. A uh, child like that's in crisis or has some more severe intensive needs has to have five to one ratio. Kids who have been trafficked have to have four, one, four to one ratio. They have to be able to play outside a certain amount of time per day. We're talking hours. You know, mm -hmm. at different intervals, they have to have the appropriate nutrition that's approved by the FDA. Um, this is the school lunch, same thing that does the school lunch program. They have to have appropriate living conditions and care and enough space. And there's all these rules and there's for the safety of the child. Yeah. Um, so when you have agencies that maybe have the best intentions and they're throwing together a facility out of a warehouse or out of, a you know, uh, you know, a sporting venue, but they're not necessarily going to have the experience as a, ch the child placement agency does. They're not going to have the experience of professional child, uh, professional shelters for kids or residential treatment, residential treatment centers. So they don't know that you have to have a minimum as far about a staff to kids. A lot of these agencies were depending on volunteers. So you can't rely on volunteers. Um, you can't rely on a volunteer to work 40 hours a week yeah. and, uh, you know, have a certain ratio. You have to do background checks and everyone. And I can tell you that background checks take about two weeks. So if you suddenly brought a bunch of kids off, like we hear in San Antonio, you said we're going to have volunteers tomorrow. How do you background check them? You know, because, you know, if you're a trafficker, you're like, sure, yeah, I'll volunteer over there. And, you know, I'll get to know these kids. The other reason why you want to have good ratio is because you're going to have kids that are going to assault physically and sexually and bully other kids because they've walked up here from Honduras or El Salvador or something like that. And they it's, they've had to scrap to survive. They've been assaulted. It's, it's not a case of if they've been, they've been assaulted. They've been physically assaulted, sexually assaulted all along the way. They had to pay criminal organizations just to pass through certain territories or they would have been assaulted. I think they had that much money. So they probably had to pay it another way. Um, so this is, this is the reality we're dealing with here. And so uh, we just had a case today in Houston where a facility that meant well yeah. was awarded $4 million, um, had kids in a warehouse and they weren't able to provide the appropriate care. And so now it's being shut down and these, they have to find places for these kids. On top of this, we already have a crisis in Texas. We already have a bed shortage. We already have uh, U.S. residents sleeping in CPS offices uh, because there's a bed shortage right now. Um, part of it has to do with the COVID-19 and, you know, families are falling apart. Families are losing their homes, you know, resources are dwindling. So this is like a perfect storm of, you don't have enough beds for what you've got here. And now you've got to create more beds and, and we're in this situation and you have to follow the rules, the licensing rules. And, you know, if you don't know those licensing rules, you may think, oh, this is easy. We'll just, you know, it's like running a daycare. Well, these are traumatized kids. Yeah. And I could tell you as someone that works daily with traumatized kids, they have a lot of behaviors, a lot of behaviors that have to be addressed. And it's not something you're going to, you know, you just hug it out of them because you try to hug them. They're going to fight you. They're going to bite you. They're going to scratch you. They're going to try to take a chunk out of your skin. Um, they've already been assaulted. You know, you have to know, how, know what trust-based relationship intervention is and how to talk to them. And it's not a five minute conversation. I mean, one traumatized child, dysregulates we're looking at two three hours of working with that child to bring it back down for one person one-on-one -on -one. so you have to have those staffings you have to have trained staff 
So all of this is what we're running into with the problem. And then on top of that, there's this push to get these kids in with sponsors. And if you don't have the appropriate background checks, what's going to happen is, is that either the sponsor is going to take the child and then kick them out once they see the behaviors. You know, if they don't have the appropriate training and background checks, they're going to kick them out. They're going to end up on the streets. And we've already had that in 2019. We've already had that with kids coming to the drop-in center at Central Seguro. I was kicked out. I had nowhere to go. And these were migrant kids. Or you're going to have kids that end up being sold and used for labor or sex and being exploited again. And and that's why all of this is just so important. I know I talked about a lot. I talked about some, you know, worldwide economic things and the pandemic. But but all of this is what comes together to really understand this problem of you've got children. The most vulnerable, right? The most vulnerable. They've yeah. already been traumatized. It's not a question of if. It's not a question of let's live in you know rainbow world and say no. If they walked all the way up from Honduras, they they're they're fleeing violence. They're fleeing, yeah. you know, being assaulted. They're fleeing and they're being assaulted along the way. If they're willing to accept the dangers of that kind of journey, um, and you know we're talking little ones to big ones, yeah. then what do they, what have they experienced already? So they're already traumatized. They need appropriate help. And you know, some people that say, well, you know, send them back to their own countries. Are you kidding me? You can't do that. I mean, you say you can't do that, you know, because as Christians, you and I know that, you know, God says widows, orphans, and aliens. I mean, he says, what, what I would prefer you care for the widows, orphans, and aliens over any other sacrifice you make, you know, your burnt offerings, none of that stuff matters. Widows, orphans, and aliens. Today, we have those still here. Your orphans are these are these migrant kids, these kids in foster care. Those are orphans. Okay. Widows are your single moms, women that are desperate and poverty and no and no support. That that's your that's your widows, right? And aliens, that that's a no-brainer. I mean, migrants. God says that's who we're supposed to, that's what he really enjoys, what we focus on. You know, that's how we show our love. That's how we show that we are little little Christ, Christians. Okay. It's they will know us by our deeds, not so much by our words. So again, we can't, we can't turn these, these are kids. Okay. And we have to have a a solution, you know, and there's a solution there, but it means going back to the, the actual child placement agencies, the actual professionals and saying, what, 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 what do you need? What do you need to create, create more bed space? you know, and I can tell you what they're going to say. We're going to need staff and we're going to need financial resources to pay for those staff. You know, so they could properly train those staff, so they could properly screen those staff, you know, because we're not talking about this is not a, an instant solution. This is going to take months to appropriately find sponsors for these kids. And, and that's to do the actual background checks and everything. So that's a little bit about what the problem is. Yeah, there's so yeah, many reasons. No, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that's great background, right? And so we, what we really want our <laughs> listeners to, to hear is the heart behind uh, this crisis, right? To really see it for what it is and not like Caesar mentioned, not to make it a political issue, but to really make it a humanitarian issue because these children are are human beings. And if we fight for the children on on American soil, these are now on American soil and we need to fight for them too, no matter what, right? Um, Many of them, like Chuck said, may not even have families to go back to. And, and maybe were came as a product of trauma they experienced where they came from. And, and we just have no idea, but they're here and we've got a crisis and we want to also 
reach out to um, try to make this something where we educate our listeners as to how human trafficking plays into that. Um, because it's, it's really big. We help the most vulnerable in our own, you know, our own children in America are vulnerable to traffickers. These kids are much more vulnerable um, in many different ways, right? So we want to make sure that we highlight how it is that they can view this and really understand how, just how vulnerable they are. Yeah, having the conversation is, I guess, the, the start of making sure that we're, you know, we're all aware of what's going on. Um, there's so many stories going on out there. The local media is covering it. They're covering it from one side. You know, you have a political figures um, saying certain things, governors, you know, there's so much um, that's being talked about. But I think what, what happens is they're talking about it from, you know, a lot of the political side. And, and what we want to bring is a conversation from the humanitarian side, from just the fact that, as Chuck and CC mentioned, these are young people, kids that have gone through so much trauma just to get here. And then the situation isn't set up for them to succeed while they're here. It's, it's currently failing them. And so we want to talk about that. We want to make sure that you, the public know that, you know, there are things you can do. Um, but one of the biggest things you can do is just be more aware of the situation and not ignore it because, um, your kids are fine or you're fine. We have um, children currently here in our cities that are staying really all over the United States and in, you know, camps. Um, You've seen some pictures where they're kind of fenced up. And as Chuck said, the ratio isn't even, isn't even um, adequate and it's not, it's not helping them. And so they're falling into situations where um, the abuse continues. Um, So Chuck, I mean, you deal with, with children, um, you talked a little bit about what you see when, um, you know, a child that's been abused, um, you know, goes through, um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, maybe what, what, what these kids are going through right now as they're sitting there kind of just waiting for things to get better. So, you know, they came up here with a hope, a hope that things would get better. Um, you know, all those kids have that, you know, they, they don't give up on hope. And maybe some of it had to do with the hope that, you know, maybe I have family up there that I can find, or, or I know that I had a relative went north at one time. They haven't communicated with them. So they come in here and they, initially when they work with the agents of the border, the agents of the border speak Spanish, but as they're being moved to different Texas cities, even here in San Antonio, you cannot get a guarantee you have Spanish speaking caregivers. Um, so suddenly now they can't communicate. So their voice is gone. Their voice has been taken away from them. They can't communicate. Their freedom of movement has been taken away from them. You know, and, and in many cases, because these facilities are inappropriate, uh, they can't even go play. They can't even like express themselves through play. So, so they're little ticking time bombs, is what they are. They're, you know, they're go- they're going to express themselves in one way or another, and you know, it's going to be with outburst and frustration. They're going to strike out at other kids. They're going to hustle and they're going to scrape and scratch because it's a matter of survival now, because now they've dropped down from the higher level functioning, the wizard part of our brain, the part of our brain that says reason, logic. Oh, this person's being nice to me, everything else. They're in the lizard part of your brain, which is the, you know, the base part of your brain where it's all about survival. It's all about survival. And all they can think about is, where's my next meal going to come from? Am I going to have a next meal? Am I going to be safe? Can I go to the bathroom? You know, who's going to try to hurt me next? Because that's, and so they're hyper, hyper aware. So they're easily set off. 
And this is post-traumatic stress disorder because they've already experienced yeah. multiple stressors and traumas. So you have compound post-traumatic stress disorder. So they're suffering from nightmares. They're suffering from, you know, hyper-awareness. They're, they're always in the, what we like to call the amber mode. You know, you've got the green light says go. It's, it, everything's calm. Red light says, oh my gosh, I'm in danger. And amber is, I'm ready for the next thing to happen. And then when they, just the littlest thing sets them off, they're going to do one of three things. All human beings do one of three things when they get set up. They either fight, they run away, or they hide. And so these kids can't run away because they're being held in these facilities. So they're going to shut down because they can't hide. We're going to hide in the warehouse. Or they're going to fight. We, we all do that. Fight, flight, or freeze. We're going to do a, one of those things. And when they fight, you know, that's going to get volunteers to go, wait a minute, didn't sign up for this. I maybe signed up to come in here and hug some kids and make it all better. Because we kind of have this mentality here in the United States of, I can give a few hours, hug a kid, and I'm just going to have a Disney moment. And, and that's, this is not, the end product is not placing that with sponsors. If you don't want these young people to end up in foster care, in our jails, in and out of our mental health institutions, right? They've got to have a rock, solid rock person in their life. They got to have a solid rock person, solid rock caregiver, you know, and not only that, they have to have clinical backup because they need to talk about their traumas. They need to work through their traumas with a therapist. They need to get community support to their sponsor because it's literally going to be a lot to deal with a child like that has this amount of traumas. Otherwise, the child's going to act out. The older they get, they're going to act out. And they're going to be in addition to the criminal justice system at that point. Um, you know, we sometimes call the foster care in a prison hot pipeline. You know, and there's a reason for that. So we already know what's in store for these young people. But it doesn't have to be that way. It, they can get the help. There are professional child care agencies in the state of Texas and throughout the United States that are already working with kids. But what they need is they need, I mean, the federal government could have very easily given a $4 million contract to some of these big child care agencies. And it would have been a lot more staff to hire because these agencies are running off a million dollar budgets for large agencies. You know, they, they could staff, staff that they could train and then do case management afterwards and provide clinical services and I know it sounds like a lot and it sounds like very expensive, but it's a lot cheaper than them in and out of mental health institutions. Police have to come to the house because the child's having a meltdown or they're having to do an emergency detention, hospital bills, um, it, you know, having to support them through the, uh, the foster care system, having to support them for life. I mean, in many cases, because there'll be traumas. Um, having to support them in permanent supportive housing because they're in and out of mental health institutions that can't get a job, having to support them in the, in the correction facility. We're, we're talking pennies on the dollar now on the front end, helping these young people out. Because the big thing is, is that these kids, let's say they run away. Because remember I said running is one of the things. They run yeah. away from their sponsor. You don't think the traffickers are waiting for them? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the traffickers are like, Here's a kid that's already been traumatized, a kid who's probably already exchanged sex to get through a territory or exchanged sex not to get beat up. So they've already learned to monetize sex, that sex is a commodity, um, you know, doesn't speak the language, can be it is used to taking the abuse because they're completely traumatized and numb at this point. So this is, a, they're already trained. Traffickers don't even have to go through the grooming process with them. And they'll turn about that night and they'll make money off of them. Right. So there's this like awful cycle, right? Where mm -hmm. these, these children come 
they have the expectation that things are going to be better than what they left. But on the way here, they've been traumatized. And even simple things like our schedules of work week, right? Five days off two days, eight hour work days is different than what they're used to seeing. So when someone mm -hmm. says, we're going to work your case, they're thinking they're working 24 seven for them and they're not, mm -hmm. and they have so many, so they're inundated. And so they get restless and antsy. And what does a child do when they get restless and antsy, they act out and then mm -hmm. they act out and the volunteer freaks out and says, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out. And then it just becomes this awful cycle of just because simple things are so different to them. Yeah. Things mm -hmm. that we think, Oh, it's, it's normal. Well, it's normal for us because this is the way our culture works, our Americanized culture. But mm -hmm. wherever they're from, it may be completely different. And so even a simple lifestyle things like that are so different for them. So their expectations, like Chuck said, are already, everything's heightened. They're excited to be here thinking that, yes, it's some, this person told me they were going to work my case, but I haven't heard back from them in months, weeks. Yeah, it's, and then somebody else offers them this opportunity, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, if you do this for me, I'm going to give you the money and I'm going to give you the family. And guess what? I love you or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's a great point, Cece. You know, that volunteer leaves them or that case manager falls, doesn't come through immediately like they want them to. That's another person who's disappointed them. That's another person that's let them down. And that continues to teach them, I can't rely on anybody. So I've got to rely on my survival skills, which is sex is a commodity. My labor is a commodity. You know, this guy is basically saying, might as well get paid for something that's going to happen to you anyways. You know? And I know the average person right now is listening to this and thinking, man, it's not that bad. Like it's, you know, they, they had a home somewhere. They, they could have stayed there. This, this is what we're talking about is the truth. It's happening. It's, it's the thing is we can't close our eyes to it. It's happening. It, they're here now. And, and everything that Chuck and Cece are saying is absolutely true. These kids um, continue to get re-victimized um, over and over um, because of the situation that they're in and because of the situation that, that you know, is caused here. Um, and so I, that's what we want everyone to do is open their eyes um, to the reality of things is that these children are vulnerable children, regardless of what culture they come from, what race, uh, what language they speak, they're being um, put in a situation where they may not have um, any other choice. And so now someone is there, you know, taking advantage of that. Um, and it's, it's, it's awful. Um, it's happening. Chuck, what are some things that, you know, we just the general public can do to, to kind of help? So what, what I would suggest is a couple of things. One is ch find a child placement agency that's in your area and talk to them about this problem. Because they are the experts. They are the, these, these child care agents. And I'm not talking about daycares. I'm talking about, you know, these facilities that take care of foster kids and runaway kids and homeless kids. Um, talk to them. They are the experts. They know what the rules are in your state. They know what the federal laws are. They get inspected regularly. I mean, licensing comes to us all the time. You know, and in the middle of the night, pop inspections. We have standards we have to meet. And there's, there's a reason why those standards are there to protect children. So talk to your child care agencies and find out, do they need volunteers? Do they need volunteers? Do, you know, do they need financial resources? Because eventually, as 
has happened traditionally in the past, when we have this situation, these childcare agencies are going to get tapped. They're going to get tapped and say, you know what? Peace out. This We didn't fix this in a couple of weeks. We need you guys to step in and, and they're going to get tapped and they're going to have to have the resources in place. Um, so talk to them. Maybe you can volunteer. Maybe you can financially support them. Get yourself educated. This is an international thing going on. So don't just listen to the hype. Find reliable sources of information, which a lot of times means you have to do research. You can't just listen to one news program or one news station or especially get all your news off of social media because there's so much lies out there. There is so yeah. much garbage out there. You know, have yourself educated on what's actually going out there. Um, agencies, you know, you can find a lot of research with the federal agencies. That's called the Blue Campaign through the Department of Homeland Security has a lot of information about trafficking and things that these kids go through and resources that are needed. They, they are the ones that are initially dealing working with these kids. And then the other thing is, is that you have a household where you've raised kids, and I'm just going to be very frank, where you've raised yeah. kids, you've maybe worked with kids, or maybe raised a child with special needs, right? A child that has behaviors. And now your kids are grown, they're out of the house, you know, and if God is really moving your heart, then reach out to the Office of Refugee Resettlement. You will still need training, but you might be that solid rock person in that youth's life to prevent them from going down, going in, you know, falling through the cracks. These are all ways that you can get involved. Primarily educate yourself. Yeah, yeah you're right. There's so much information out there. The, the conversation that we're having today is it's, it's a portion of what, you know, was really going on. And, and we don't, we don't have names of all these organizations that we can lead you to, but your city, there are so many cities in the United States right now that are being impacted or that are housing these children. So do some research, um, you know, and, and find those organizations that you can support, like Chuck said, financially, or maybe by, um, you know, signing up to volunteer as well. Um, if you have a heart for this issue, if you have a heart for children in general, um, there's no way that we can't get involved. Um, there's no way that you can't do something um, even as simple as donating a few dollars to try to help or um, having the conversation with your family, you know, having a conversation with your friends, with the people around you, um, you know, because as Chuck said, this is not going to be solved within the next few weeks, within the next few months. Um, these kids are going to, you know, be going through something um, for a very long time. And if we can help, that's what we want to do. And we want to empower you to be able to do that as well. Um, any any last comments that you have, um, Cece, in regards to the, the situation? Um, I know you have children as well. Uh, anything you want to add to this as well? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's heartbreaking for me, right? These, these kids that are coming over are my children's ages. And so it, I took that personally when I started to see all of this happen. And our team's been scrambling to see how we can get involved in the best, most effective way. Um, so we'll, we'll have more details when that all comes together. Um, but right now, I, I the, the way I kind of see it in my heart and in my mind is we have a crisis. We are a border state. We are in the state of Texas. Um, and a lot of the rest of the country doesn't understand what necessarily that means. And so they just could get caught up in the political side of things. But when you're here and this is your home and we have kids that are staying in our city and in the surrounding areas, we own it. We, we say, okay, this is a problem. How do we address the problem? And I really want our listeners, no matter where you are, you know, to see this as a, you know, I, I hate to use this analogy, but like a 9-11 type of 
reaction when people went and signed up at at the uh, military uh, different places to to join the military because they were so patriotic. This is our country. We have an influx of children that we have an opportunity to really rear in the right direction for the good of our country, right? Our country is made up of migrants. That's, that's what it is made up of. And so they've come from all over the world. And so now we have this opportunity to shape these children to be successful leaders in our own country, to, to steer them in the right direction, to say, no traffickers, these, these children are not gonna grow up to be your property. We're going to help rear them in the right direction. We're gonna educate them, we're gonna clothe them, we're gonna love on them, we're gonna teach them the, the way to go in America, the American way, right? And so it's, it's our problem collectively as a nation. It's not just a Biden thing or a Trump thing. It's, it's our problem as Americans. And this is just where we're at. So let's own it. Let's move together and stop pointing fingers at each other. And like the guy said, get involved, find out where it is. Say a prayer, ask the Lord to guide you. How is it that I can get best get involved? And if that's volunteering your time, if that's giving of your finances, if that's opening your home, wow, like God bless you for that. But, but do something, right? Say a prayer, pray for these children daily because we have no idea. That's gonna be the best source of action immediately that you can do is pray for these children. Um, just a quick story. My, our pastor at my church let us know a few weeks ago that he had volunteered for a night shift and him and his partner uh, had uh, caretaking over 20 boys. And he said that at the end of the night when lights were out and they were it's time to go to bed, half of those kids pulled out Bibles and were reading because they want hope. That's all, <laughs> that's all they had what, that they brought with them was a tiny Bible. Many of these people from other countries are very religious, whether they're Catholic or any other, they're very religious. And so they're holding on for hope. So as Christians, what are we doing to act out the hope on this side now? How are we going to act towards that, right? And so let's pray about it. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for these institutions that are, you know, taking care of them right now that somehow, some way they will be staffed. That's another thing. If you're a social worker and you're feeling compelled to go down there and work, start applying for those positions that are available right now. You know, a, a caseworker, become a case manager, find out how you can get involved. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna take all of us rolling up our sleeves and working this, but we can do it. We can, we can really shape an entire generation. Yeah, well said, well said. Thank you for sharing that, sharing your heart. Um, th there's so much that we can do and that's what we want is to continue this conversation. This may not be the only episode that we bring to you in regards to this uh, topic. What we want to do is uh, also um, bring you additional voices that are, you know, working with these children that uh, know a little bit more about the, the topic itself. And so you'll be hearing more about it um, because these are vulnerable children that through their process, through the getting here have been exploited and, you know, that's, that's what we're here to talk about is we're here to talk about, um, you know, the, the people that are, are marginalized, the people that, um, you know, are being taken advantage of. And we, in a way, are their voices, um, you know, here on Talk for Freedom. And so we want to bring you um, the topic so that you're more aware and educated. So CC Chuck, thank you for sharing um, your hearts, sharing more about this topic. You know, my hope is that we can continue the conversation and that we see some positive uh, news here in the next few weeks, next few months as well. Thank you, guys.